Hello, this is Mary from Casing the Cover, and as library rats, my co-host Jen and I happen across numerous crappy covers, atrocious authors, sad titles, and the occasional masterpiece. We spend an unhealthy amount of time decoding how cover designs can be humorously contrary to the story within, and how publishers lure unsuspecting readers. Should you judge a book by the cover? Join Mary and Jen on the case to find out. Hello, welcome to Casing the Cover, the podcast where we're not all there yet today. <laughs> it's, it's, it's buzzing you out. You must be too far from your mic. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll sit a little closer. There we a little go. closer. Come a little closer. Come on. Like there's a computer. Otherwise, you can't come closer. You have to social distance. Yes. I don't have to social distance from my computer no. or Dizzy, apparently. We have a special guest today is my cat, Dizzy, and she won't leave me alone. <laughs> Mary's going to be giggling the whole time because this cat uh-huh. is just ridiculous. It's also kind of early. I mean, it's not that early in the grand scheme of early versus late, but I'm pretty sure this is the earliest we've ever recorded an episode. I think so. Yes. We are kind of night owls when it comes to podcasting. Yeah. We usually so. like pod at like five to seven in the evening and now there's a dog barking. Oh my God. The animals. <laughs> this episode's going to be a mess today. <laughs> I say we keep it. I say we go for it. (laughs) Sure. What we're going to talk about today um, is kind of going to tie into all this whole thing. I'm totally going all in on this whole quarantine business and, you know, societies that are like very encased upon themselves and dogmatic and and what happens and all this stuff. I'm going full in. Some very on the nose science fiction. Very on the nose science fiction. And it wasn't even on purpose, but I'm going to go all in. I'm pretty sure you started reading this book like six months ago. I did. So whatever I remember from this book, please give me points. Because Mary, you've got to keep up with me with the reading. That's what happens when we put off recording for like months at a time. Jen forgets all the books that she read ahead on. I do. <laughs> I keep a list though. So I would like to like notify the, the listening public. I keep spreadsheets on everything. So I have spreadsheets on which books I've read and when I read them and how long it took me to read them. Uh, if I had oh to God. How go long? over. Oh, yeah, it's, oh, it's in depth. Um, if I had to scan the last few chapters because I was either so bored or thought I was never going to finish it, um, there weren't a lot of books like that, just so you know. I also have found that I read ebooks faster than I read um, physical books. That's because they're easier. Yeah. I'm a proponent for owning physical books. That's not like, well, no, I'm not now because I just get them from the library. But like, I understand why people like physical books. I understand the merit of a physical book. But they're just a pain. It's a pain to read them. Like you have yeah. to be, I cannot read in bed on with a book because I cannot no. get comfortable. I cannot read on a bus with a book. I can I cannot read anywhere except sitting at a desk with a book on the desk. It's the only comfortable way to read a book. Whereas with ebook, I'm going to go full Seuss here. I can read on a bus. I can read at the work. I can read at yeah. 3 a.m. <laughs> That's why I like audiobooks because I can literally just put my headphones in and be doing something else and be reading. Yeah. I've gotten spoiled. I've gotten spoiled yeah. on audiobooks. I am not yet an audiobook person. See, there's, again, there's merits and there's, there's um, downsides to audiobooks because, for example, audiobooks, if you don't like the um, narrator, it's hard to get through an audiobook. Yeah. But I also double speed those. If I have to read it and I don't like the, the um, narrator, I'll just put it on like a 
1.5 speed and just get through it faster. We're talking about Doubt Not the Stars. Yes, tell me about it. Okay, so Doubt Not the Stars is science fiction. Although, as you can see from the cover... It looks like a fantasy cover. It does! I totally want to talk about this cover and font and how font matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I'm going to say that while, yes, it is a science fiction book, it could deceive you into being a fantasy novel for quite some time. Okay. So I I am totally giving away the ending of this book. You're turning into me. Giant spoilers. I cannot help it. It's going to happen because I have to talk about why this cover matters. So I'm totally spoiling this book. Before I talk about the book, I want to get a little fangirl about the author who, um, by the way, I have a signed copy. So maybe we'll put that as a picture too. This is my signed copy Fancy. from 2014. Um, so yeah, I in 2014, I bought this book in Prescott, Arizona, or Prescott, I don't know how you properly pronounce it. It's one of at, those. At the Old Sage Bookshop. And the Old Sage Bookshop is owned by Susan McGellerin. I really hope I'm saying that right. She is the proprietor, the owner, and the author of this book. She's not even sponsoring the episode. I know, she's not even sponsoring the episode. But you know what, uh, Susan, if you hear this, uh, I hope we can tag like her bookshop. I couldn't find her on Facebook, but I found the bookshop on Facebook. It's on Twitter, I can tag it there too. Yeah, so if you want to tag those when this episode goes live, maybe we can, after the COVID is over, maybe we can go visit the bookshop and That'd talk be about fun things like that. She's got some cool books out there. She's a really cool person. Two things I'm going to talk about with this cover before I even read the back, before I even do anything else. One, font. You already said it. This is fantasy font. Mm -hmm. It's, this is not sci-fi font. Sci-fi font to me, and maybe to you as well, is more blocky, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, A little more robotic. it's more, it's sharp. It's kind of like your sharp fonts. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's edgy. Uh, I'm currently sitting in my science fiction fandom room here, and I've got Star Trek behind me. Which uh, Star Trek just- isn't the best example because Star Trek is kind of, the Star Trek font is kind of a soft, a soft, uh, it's not as soft as that, no. Yeah. Star Trek has kind of a soft, um, blocky font. The, the edges are rounded. Yeah, but it's still, like, it's angular. But, like, think of Star Wars. Think of how square that logo is. Think of how, like, it looks like block letters. Yes. So that's kind of what I kind of, I think of when I think of sci-fi versus fantasy. Fantasy is pretty. Pretty letters. Fantasy is pretty and scrolly and and has serifs. And that's what this is. Mm Mm-hmm. It, in fact, so much so, I, I hate to say it, but her name on here is a little hard to read. A little bit. The E is hard. The E yeah. is, is, looks like an I. And the M is like the weirdest thing. It, it's a weird M. Yeah. It looks like um, a Zodiac sign. Oh, it does. It does kind of have a Zodiac sign. It looks sign. like what, Aries? Yeah. And I'm going to say that with a title like Doubt Not the Stars. That, yeah, that also implies fantasy because that you know stars can be science fiction they can also be fantasy because it it implies magic it implies fortune telling it implies um you know like 
directional of the stars because you don't know how maps and compasses work and you're following the stars on an adventure it's it's it could totally be a fantasy title yes so i'm also going to talk about the the picture itself so you've got pillars back here and the pillars yeah they're they're temple pillars only you're going to realize in the book they're more metallic than that Mm. so yeah but so there's they look like stone pillars. Yeah. Her hairstyle and that she's wearing robes, very fancy. Yep. But then you've got this thing in her hand, which I don't know if it'll get close enough for you to see what it is. It kind of looks like a sonic screwdriver. It kind of does, but from far away, when you can't see it as well, it looks like a glowing amulet. Yes, or a lantern or something. Yeah. Yes. So all of this screams fantasy. I can see how, with the exception of the font, like if you got rid of the font or if you gave it a blockier font, I could see how that image could be, sci- like could be space opera or could be science fiction. The font m- makes it lean towards fantasy. I am going to blame this book for the reason why science fiction and fantasy live together. I doubt it's just her fault, but okay. No, but books like this. Yeah. So because somebody's gonna pick this up and go I'm pretty sure that this is fantasy there's a lot of sci-fi elements in this I'm gonna put it in both and that's kind of how the how that goes so I'm gonna read the back to you and then I'm gonna go into some of the cool stuff that happens in this book and I'm Mm. totally gonna spoil it all right after generations of isolation a small community has deteriorated into stifling sameness Determined to escape its oppression, Saren explores the surrounding forbidden territory, only to discover that she and her people face imminent destruction. So, I'm going to pick apart the words in this. Okay. And then I'm going to spoil the book. So, Generations of Isolation. Now, if it's a fantasy book, they're isolated because their community is like Shangri-La. You know, like, they're far removed from something. It says, community rather than um, people on, like, a space station asteroid. Um, (laughs) Okay. Giant spoiler. And determined to escape oppression. Let's see. Forbidden territory. The territory is still within a, like, spaceship kind of thing. Well, it's a different part of the spaceship? Basically, yes. So they live in, most of this story takes place inside a community that sounds very dogmatic dark ages so you have the timekeeper and the uh scriptorium and the scribes and and these people who are in control of information and the way that it's termed and the way that it's talked about it feels like a society that's ruled by religion and they can't get they can't escape that dogma um they they get rid of children who are like not quite right they kind of basically put them in this room and mm-hmm. close the doors and then when they open the doors back up they're gone and okay. it's magic and god but really it's because there's an entire society living on the other side of the door oh, <laughs> um so yeah there's this whole thing i'm totally spoiling this book um but i do love it and i think people should read it for the sake of like uh getting the experience of it because it is really well written book and I do I did enjoy it um the and I just can't talk about it without spoiling it because what I want to talk about with it 
So the whole thing sounds like she's trying to get out from under the control of a god. Only to discover that God is the technology that they're being ruled under. And this space station, which is sitting on this asteroid, is like deteriorating. And it's falling into disrepair. And they've got to get on a spaceship and get the heck off it or they're all going to die. So the whole thing is her trying to convince people, there's no God. We're living in a space station that's falling apart. we got to get out of here. Like this, to me, it rings a lot of bells in my mind of things that it reminds me of. That's not necessarily a bad thing because it seems like she's kind of playing with some different tropes. I'm, I'm certain there's multiple Star Trek episodes that play off of similar concepts. Yeah. Of the, oh, there's a god in the cave, but really it's a computer. Yeah. It's kind of that, you know, man behind the curtain. I think the playing with the sci-fi and the fantasy is definitely on purpose. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And she does it beautifully. Like, it's very seamless. I will say that only because I am a writer who plays in this kind of world, Mm -hmm. I realize a little sooner than I think another reader might. But even though realizing it, I still had that suspension of disbelief where I was like oh no I could I could believe that these people think that they're in a fantasy world or they're on in a society rather than on a tiny little asteroid on like space station kind of thing well it kind Um, of goes back like it's almost as if it's a world that's so far in the future and so post-apocalyptic that they've gone back to being those early religions that have to come up with gods to explain why things are the way they are Yes, and that's exactly it. Rounded sci-fi and come back to fantasy. Yes, we've gone full circle. So that's the biggest thing I want to talk about with this book is that it it really melds the two very well together. And I really think that if she had gone a little bit less squirrely with the font, it would this cover would be an excellent blend between the two. So just a little less squirrely on the cover, and maybe keep the serifs, but make it edgier. Yeah. And you would have had a full on, I'm not sure what I'm reading. And this is really cool. I almost wonder even the font was trying to do that because it is flowy and it is kind of squirrely, but it's not as squirrely, like squirrely as some fantasy fonts are. Yeah. It's kind of in between a little bit. Yeah, it's, it is. It's in between. And also like the, the, the capital letters are very squirrely. But the lowercase letters are, um, wh- what do we call it? The Nazi font, the German font? Um, not quite. They're almost like medieval font. Okay, yeah. But then when you have your capital letters that look like they're, you know, zodiac symbols and the book is called Doubt Not the Stars, it leans back mm-hmm. into the mystical, leans back into the fortune telling, it leans back into yeah. that. And And so much of this plays back and forth with, you know, and the way they talk about time is very different than like the way you and I would talk about time. There's no AM and PM days of the week kind of thing. It's how many hours and how many days something happens. And it's just, I never really followed how time worked. I think maybe I would have had to invest a little more time in rereading some of it and going, okay, but how I, Sometimes I try to go, okay, well, how old is a character actually based on their definition of time? Mm-hmm. And I never really got it in this. So I feel, I feel like that's kind of a thing in a lot of science fiction and fantasy where like you want to separate it enough to say that this isn't the same world you live in with things like, you know, 
how things like time works or how things like months work or age or whatever, but it's always a thing that it's not important enough to your world building that anyone puts that much thought and time into. Yeah. That and money, I, money is the other one that yes, it's like, money. we have to have fantasy money, but we don't want to think of an entire system of monetary, like, so it's just gibbons or coinses or whatever yeah. made up monetary system we have. Yeah. And there's kind of that system in here too. There's a monetary system. It's, it's a very, so the society, the society itself that's in this is very kind of socialist communist in its way because mm. everybody kind of gets a portion and portions are based on what your job description is. And so it does seem like a society that's kind of, we've got to all fit together because we're very cluster, clustered society and we can't really work without each other, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and also makes perfect sense in that more militaristic, we're living on a space station and we right. have to make sure everything is uh, partitioned out accordingly. So is this like a multiple generations from the spaceship landing, right? Yeah, this okay. is, she's like some, she's like the 90th generation or something like that. So yeah, this is the end of their society and them kind of going off and what happens at the end of it. Right. The other thing I want to talk about with this book, and this may be an entire other episode, so you feel free to tell me when we're reaching a point where it's like, we've talked too much about this. The cover design, super 90s. Yeah? This is such a 90s cover. The style of the character, the way her face, her hairstyle, her body type. I guess so. This is a very late 80s to mid 90s book cover the thing is for me it looks like a lot of modern fantasy covers i see too it's i mean it's not as detailed a lot of the modern fantasy covers are way more detailed yes but it has that same kind of style of illustration it well you get it again it's her body type it's the 90s it's hard, it's hard to see her body type so oh yeah she's she's not like I feel like if this were a book today, there would be one, a lot more detail to her dress, mm -hmm. her robe, yeah, even yeah, yeah. though it is just a robe. And I feel like her hairstyle would have a lot more going on. Maybe. And she wouldn't have cute face. She'd be a little edgier in her face. Maybe. So super 90s. And like I said, maybe this is something that we go into and like pull up some covers because the first thing I saw thought of with this book is oh this was probably written in like the mid-90s so the thing is like it immediately let me see if i can find an example um it immediately reminds me and i know i'm i'm just gonna sound like a dork saying this but it, it reminds me of brandon sanderson covers which are also like he's kind of stuck with his style for a long time well he has because i think he's had the same cover artist for a long time but yeah. that same cover artist does a lot of fantasy covers and i mean once again they're more detailed and if you want, we can even go further and say, this is a very Mists of Avalon 70s cover. Or 80s? Was Mr. Avalon, no, when was Mists of Avalon? You act like I know. Anyway, oh, she's screen sharing with me. Do you, do you see it? I don't, I see you, that you are screen sharing, but I don't see it. Oh, there we go. Yeah, but still look at all the detail in That's that. That's what I'm saying. It seems like a less detailed version of this but like, look at this cover and look at yours. And the, I feel like the staging is similar. The colors are similar. The font is similar. 
And this is yeah. a more this is a cover of a book that came out maybe in the last 10 years. Maybe not. It's a little older. It's one of his first books. But like these are his newer books. Like again, it's a similar font. Yep. It's kind of similar poses. But now I'm gonna tell you when this book came out. Okay. This book came out in 2009. Well, this book came out in 2015. So I totally think that like this is like the end of that but she's still clinging to it. And I totally think that she actually wrote this book in the mid nineties because style. I don't know if we want to go too far into it because usually we stick to covers. Um, I'm also going to sidebar just for a second. There were masks on there. And I just think that that's so funny that that's become a thing. It's like there's Mask masks covers. of everything now. Yeah, you can blame me on James for that. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know if we want to go too much into like writing styles. You can. Because we usually focus on the covers, but I challenge people who are reading books from a certain era, look at the style in which it was written. The words that are used, the way that it's laid out, just even the dialogue. And there, it's kind of like, you, you can tell when this book was written because everybody kind of was like, oh, that's the way we write fantasy right now. That's the way we write sci-fi right now. Is it possible that this is just like a reprint or a re-release or anything like that? I don't think so. I no. think because she is a, sm this is a smaller press. It's Wings yeah. Press. I think, so this is totally my guess. And I, again, I hope we get to interview her and she gets to, I don't know, she can prove me wrong or prove me right. I don't really care. I just hope we interview her because I like to interview people. Um, <laughs> because I'm that dorky. Uh, the, I, my guess is that she wrote this in like the 80s, 90s, whatever, and then finally got it, put it together and, yeah. and published in like early 2000s. That's my guess on this. So she probably already had the style picked out, the style of her writing, everything else, and then said, uh, it's good, I'm going to keep it. We're going to go with it. Maybe. And kept the style. See, whereas my theory would be that this is a book that was written and published, maybe because I haven't read it, so I can't really make that, that distinction. But I think the cover itself is kind of a less expensive version of current fantasy cover trends. And it that's probably why is a less expensive, yeah. It looks similar to other current fantasy novels. It's just less detailed because it's from a small press. That would be my theory. That would be my theory. Yes. And it is an illustrated cover. It's not digital art. Right. So it, it's, it, I mean, it might be digitally illustrated, but it's not stock art. So right. if you think about that with the small press, think about how much it, it costs to get actual art done for your cover and how detailed you're going to make it. Oh, yeah. When you're, know a, that. when you're small press publishing. Exactly. So yeah. that would be my theory is that it was just because it, it is some, an art cover that follows other trends in illustrated covers but it was cheaper to do it without as much detail that would be my theory of that cover it's and you know what I totally hope we get to interview her and she can pick apart which one it is <laughs> because I I could be totally wrong on this but the first thing I thought of when I picked up this book to start reading it is mm. oh I'm reading an older book like I picked it up with the idea of I'm reading something that was written 30 years ago. Yeah. Rather than something that was written really 
like a decade ago, um, which is really different. Yes, things, styles change decade to decade, but this book looks like it's 30 years old to me. Like if somebody told me, oh yeah, this is a 30 year old book, I'd be like, okay, yeah, it makes perfect yeah. sense. Instead of this is a 10 year old book, I'd be like, oh, really? Okay. Huh. And again, the writing style is so very much, and I don't know what it is. I'm sure somebody who is a more like educated author than I am, because I'm totally self-taught in everything that I do. I just write because I like to write and I will pick a style that suits the story that I'm writing, right. not necessarily a style that is popular. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do recognize like, oh, this feels like it was written in a, in a certain time because I remember reading this style when I was a kid and mm -hmm. I remember reading it and, and holding on to that. So I don't know what exactly it is, but there are words that you choose and the way the words are used and it all just kind of defines a generation kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's like reading something written by like Arthur Conan Doyle. You, yeah. you know that style. It's, it's there. Uh, everybody of that generation. And some of it comes from the way we talk mm -hmm. during certain time periods. And yeah, it makes sense. But like you can see that. There's also the element, though, of more modern writers who mimic styles of older writers based on what they're reading. Yes. Like a lot of Which, fantasy literature uses like, you know, Tolkien-esque speak because Tolkien's the one who wrote it first. If you read the Aragorn books, that's all they are. It's just him trying to rewrite Tolkien. Yeah. You know, so, and those books were written in the early 2000s. Yes. So it could also be that she's just also influenced by an older style of science fiction. Well, and therein, I'm going to say, because I know who the author is, she is of a generation. Yeah. I'm just going to say that because I don't, I do want to interview her. I don't want her to get mad at us for saying no. her age or anything. But she could be influenced by science fiction of the 80s and 90s and have replicated that in her own work. Yeah. It's not necessarily something written then. Yeah. It, but it is interesting how it, it is that. Like, I read it, and I'm totally thinking I'm reading a book from my child. I would have read this as a child. Well, as a teen. Yeah. This would have been, I would have picked this up as Teenage Gen. Yeah, back when there wasn't a YA section. Yes, when there, this is Teenage Gen book, yes. So that's kind of what I really wanted to go into with that book is that, feeling of style too I guess we didn't really talk about it that much I thought for sure we would you would argue with me more about it but <laughs> this is uh, I would read this book so I don't have to recommend another book but I am going to recommend another book because we're going to talk about another book soon and if you want to read something kind of in the same vein <laughs> you should read the Medusa series by Emily Devonport which we're going to talk about the first one and that one in another episode. And I'm totally making this into two episodes. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> That's fine. We can do two episodes. We had debated about doing both of them in one episode because they were kind of similar in theme. But yeah. we can do two episodes. We just don't yeah, know when the next one will be out. But with That's kind of where we're at right now. Jen reads so many books that she's got like six books to do episodes on. And I have zero. Okay, five? Okay, I was off. I bought Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's five. And I just finished another one, so. 
See, she's yeah, killing me, man. I think what I'm going to recommend this week is, um, ah, I can't remember the title now. Give me a minute. It'll <laughs> she looked up me. all those Sanderson books. It's not a Sanderson book. I'm not recommending oh. a Sanderson book. Usually we talk about fantasy and you do. We don't talk about specific genres very much. Kind of. We did with the historical fiction. I mean, yeah, a little bit. I mean... A lot of what we end up reading seems to fall under sci-fi fantasy and or romance. We've read a lot of romance on this podcast. We're going to read one that's like sci-fi, fantasy, romance, oh my god, all the things, and totally out of my comfort zone. We're going to talk about that one soon, too. I'm not going to give it away yet. I might recommend it when I talk about the Devonport book. Uh, I'm not talking about it yet. I was leaving a surprise. Mortal Engines. Oh. Sorry. I just, I was looking up the thing I was trying to remember to recommend and I had to literally Google search London on wheels to remember what the name of the series is because I could not remember. Uh, so Mortal Engines, it's the one where all the cities yeah. eat each other, which when you were talking about like the, the city on the asteroid kind of reminded me of this. Um, I saw the movie and it was pretty bad. But it was just interesting enough to make me go, I wonder if the books are good. And the See, books are good. That to me is kind of what the movies are for. Yeah, that movie made no money at all. It made zero money. It's like, I'm pretty sure it made like <laughs> negative money. Um, who's the author? Hold on, let me look. Nice thing about having my computer here. Yeah. So look stuff up. Um, based on Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve. So there's four books. Um, one thing that bothered me a little bit about the series is there's a huge time jump after book two, which I kind of hate. I don't like books that do the time jump thing. And also it does it like the first two books are about Hester and Tom. And then there's like an 18 year time jump. And the other books are about her kid. Oh. Which I think there's four books. I think there's four books. But the world is really interesting and the characters are pretty good. And they have both, like, the sky cities and, like, the boat cities and, like, the land cities. And it kind of reminds me of kind of that, you know, asteroid city. But it's also kind of post-apocalyptic and, you know, there's the old gods and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm going to recommend. The books are actually quite good. They're very, they're fun. They're They're wrong. wrong. (laughs) And And they're better than the movie. So That's cool. Yes. That would be my recommendation. Yeah. And and my recommendation is before the next episode that I talk about this book, you should read Medusa Uploaded, because that's the one I'm gonna read and talk about. And then there's yes, a sequel Medusa out too, in right? the Graveyard, which since I'm ahead of you on books, I'm probably gonna read it because I'm gonna totally fangirl out about Emily Devonport when we get to this. Read some books for fun, Jen. Oh, I'm also doing like the Canopy Great Courses and I found that you can get all the supplemental material also for free. So I'm a total nerd and I got the supplemental material and I'm also looking for the books for free to read, to do the readings. So I'm basically taking college level courses for nothing and getting no credit for them. But that's kind of how I do things. So yeah. Yep. No, I'm not paying for anything. Just so you know, you can get a great education for not paying for anything. <laughs> You're a nerd like me. It is. You can also, did you know, you can get Canopy on your Roku? Yes. I Yeah, I get Canopy through the library, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, Roku. It's on Roku and on my phone. I think it's also on Fire Stick or whatever. But yeah, Canopy is free. Great courses are free. It's amazing. Learn something. There's a lot of weird stuff on Canopy. Maybe one of these days we should do a deep dive into Canopy. It's a, it's a streaming service. I think you can pay for it too. Some libraries offer it. 
Um, I think you can also buy subscriptions, but it's a lot of like documentaries. It's a lot of indie films, a lot of foreign films. It's a lot of that kind of stuff that you really don't find other places. Some of it, there's a reason. I watch a lot of Canopy. I've watched some weird stuff on Canopy. Yeah. And then again, there's some really good, like all of Taika Waititi's movies are on Canopy, which by the way, okay, there's a recommendation that has no context. Just watch Taika Waititi films. Because they're all amazing. Yes. All of them. They're all good. Um, I think Jojo Rabbit is even on yeah. there, even though it's new. Um, also, uh, the there's a couple of horror films. I can't remember the director's name. Um, Midsummer and Hereditary. They're two really, really popular horror films. I don't watch horror films. Okay, I will recommend Midsummer because it was freaking great. Don't watch it. If you, if you don't like horror films, you don't like being psychologically scarred, and you don't like blood, don't watch you know Midsummer. What, you know what I do, don't you, Jen? I go on YouTube and I watch found flicks talk about horror movies because in concept, I like the idea of horror movies and I understand why people like them, but I don't like being scared. So I have to have someone explain the plots of horror movies to me in this really monotone voice that doesn't scare me. I love it. I absolutely love horror movies. So now we've gone off the rails. So that means it's the end of the episode. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> we always do this. We talk about a thing for a while and then we're like, now we're off the rails. And then we tangent. Yes. But we're, I'm going to force Mary to record another episode with me after this. Oh God, are we? Okay. Yes. Yes. Because I'm going to get this out of the way before more things melt out of my brain. Because Mary, I'm old and things melt out of my brain. Yeah, I'm young and things melt out of my brain. So there you go. So yes. So read Down Out the Stars. Uh, frequent the old sage bookshop which probably is got some online stuff right now I hope so and Prescott is Prescott one of the places that's on fire right now oh god I think so yeah this is like all bad right now Prescott's on fire uh we we are high on the COVID list right now as the president was here yesterday uh, it's just all bad people by the way there's our politics right there if you wanted to know I don't play politics. I just dislike people. (laughs) Yeah. All the bad. All right. Uh We'll we'll be escaping our horrible society someday soon. Go live on an (laughs) asteroid. Living on an asteroid. It could be worse. (laughs) Uh, All right. right. Until next time. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for cracking another case with Mary and Jen. To learn more about Casing the Cover... Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Casing the Cover. To contact us or suggest a book, email casingthecoverpod at gmail.com. New episodes of Casing the Cover release the second and fourth Tuesday on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.